Here today, William Ramsey, you've heard him, you should have heard him a number of times on this show, and there's others out there, of course, that have done him. Um, he has been with us with uh, Randy and Gordon. He's been with uh, Randy Solo. So there's enough audio out there. If you want to hear more from William, uh, just do a, a search on him, and it'll, and it'll pop up in quite a few places and in, in my archives as well. Uh, there's a bit of a, a Nettleson subject, and that is the time he spent in the District of Columbia, which anybody could understand just <laughs> just with their, with their working knowledge of that place. And um, I, I was there for uh, two years uh, with the Bureau, the FBI. Um, it's probably one of the crappiest cities I, I've ever been in, but uh, be that as it may, William, I mean, I know you got war stories and stuff, but there's a lot going on there, and there's a lot that you saw in the era in which you um, – we're uh, very heavily involved with the District of Columbia. And what is that time period, by the way? Well, I was uh, there for law school between uh, 95 to 98, so I was kind of there during, uh, you know, the latter parts. Well, actually, it was the latter parts of Clinton's first administration and then sec the beginning parts of the second. And pretty much all the Lewinsky drama and all that, I was, I was kind of right in the belly of the beast, so to speak. Yeah, that was, that, well, there's always interesting times there. And, and as I told you one day, I left the Bureau as I, you know, on any given work day, <clears throat> went down to uh, catch the bus and had to pass City Hall. And all of a sudden I heard these trumpets blare like you hear from like a Robin Hood movie. And I'm, and I'm like, what is this? It's like 5, you know, 5, 4, 45 or something like that. I look across and there's the Queen coming <laughs> coming out oh of the City gosh. Hall. <laughs> then, then I thought it was strange, but for other reasons, so. At any rate, you never know what's going to happen in the District of uh, Columbia. Even the name itself is a little bit weird. All right, right. Um, why don't you tell us about your experiences and uh, what has at least moved you to to share them? Because uh, as dark as they may be, that's just exactly what this is all about. Yeah, I think that uh, I just wanted to come on the record and kind of uh, give my perspective on history of things that happened in the past. Uh, I was definitely not an insider by any means. I was just a kind of a naive uh, guy who really didn't know much about Hollywood in the way. I mean, excuse me, uh, that's a whole different story. <laughs> yeah, but you Hollywood, know what? But, but there's a linkage there, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, but uh, D.C., so I was naive about that. And, uh, you know, so when I got there and saw how it really worked, you know, it, um, it was a pretty harrowing experience how different it is from what is put forward on mass mainstream media or just the media in mm -hmm. general. Uh, so, okay. you know, I just would like to impart to you and your listeners the, you know, a different side or a different take on uh, that mm -hmm. city and how it really works. Just want to let you know, folks, too, I mean, uh, the website uh, that William maintains is will be up with the audio link, so you've already seen that. It's occult911.com. He did write Prophet of Evil, and that's out in a number of forms. It's a PDF. It's a soft cover book. Um, it's also now uh, it is now available in the DVD. Is that true? Correct, and it's it's on video on demand. You can get it through Amazon. Okay. Both of my movies, you can buy a a DVD, but they just have a, a very interesting little um, part of their uh, website now that you can actually watch the videos on order for like a okay. dollar ninety nine. So it's it's uh, pretty cool. And he did not necessarily misspeak when he said Hollywood because he has a cult Hollywood uh, out in a DVD. It's a documentary, of course. Um, and uh, let's see, we got the, we and got volume it all. two is on the way, okay, so good. I should have that done within the next three months. So, well, you know, it's uh, I think that's just as interesting as the first one, hopefully. Well, you know, really, I, the reason I was I was kind of kidding with you when you when you said Hollywood, because it, to me, both both the district 
and Hollywood deal in illusion. Uh, I don't think there's any two ways about it. They're probably more joined at the hip than we than we understand. But going back to your uh, your experiences uh, uh, in D.C., uh, what do you want to start us off with? Well, I would just you know uh, I went out there to go to law school. I went to a law school in Northern Virginia, and uh, I experienced things that I think are are kind of important to a good understanding of Washington D.C. and how it works. I uh, I answered I answered an ad for a law clerk. Uh, after your first year, you typically want to find somebody to work for so you can get experience. Well, the person who I answered the ad for that was uh, at my law school was a alumni of that law school. His name was John Clark, and he was looking for somebody to, uh, you know, do some work for him. Well, it turns out John Clark was working on a case. Uh, his client was by the name of Patrick Knowlton, who uh, he was involved in a, you know, side kind of a side issue involved with the death of Vince Foster. He oh. had been to the park. Uh, Fort Marcy Park, and he had seen a couple things and uh, that were very suspicious. There were cars being moved that were contradictory to the story of Vince Foster. And, uh, you know, I just took his job without really knowing the full gravity and uh, seriousness of what I was getting into. So uh, he had a uh, – he was a – he wasn't the, the, a white shoe lawyer by any means. He was a guy who was working back in those days – uh, close to Chinatown. This was before the uh, basketball stadium had been built in D.C. And uh, so we would go to his office and, you know, I would just do uh, low-level legal stuff for him. And what he was trying to do was kind of get public attention to the case and also contradict the public story of the Vince Foster murder, which was clearly a political murder. It was not a, mm -hmm. a, uh, a suicide at all. This guy, Vince Foster, was very... Uh, very sharp. He was first in his class at Vanderbilt. He was used to stresses of uh, careers and the, and the excuses that they said of why he, you know, committed suicide were fully bogus. And most of the well, people that he, he that knew him knew it was a bunch of baloney. Uh, Webster Hubble came out and said, "Don't believe it for a second that he was suicide." And then he changed his story. After, I'm sure he got pressured into it. Anyway, well, didn't Hubble uh, was. All right, something happened with Hubble. Was he sent to prison for a little, by, a little while to, to think, probably rethink think what he, he said? I he got something for corruption. I mean, yeah. there was a lot of stuff with the Rose Law Firm. He was the head of the Rose Law Firm, and he was in Arkansas. And, you know, there was all kinds of allegations, if I recollect, uh, about Rose Law Firm being involved in, you know, uh, okay. working to hide the funds that were being made from MENA and a lot of the drug dealing that was taking place in Arkansas. So I don't know, uh, I don't recollect the actual specifics of what he got in trouble for, but I think he got disbarred, if I re remember correctly. I don't uh, Yeah, I don't in fact... And he was, <laughs> the funny thing was, is he was, I think, the head of the Supreme Court in Arkansas at one point. So, you know, he's a legitimate character. He wasn't, you know, uh, a slouch. <laughs> All right. Well, as legitimate as Arkansas can be, I guess, is what I should say. Yeah, well, another one of the fine luminaries like Albert Pike. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> what yeah, well, it's my understanding. You know, I, I read recently that Rose Law Firm, at one point, and, you know, Rose Law Firm is where Vince Foster, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Webster Hubble, and all these guys were at. I, my understanding is, and I need to verify this, is that the Rose Law Firm, 
uh, at one point was uh, interred at the Albert Pike House in Little Rock, Arkansas. You cannot make this stuff up. No, I can't make it up. <laughs> no, no I, it's uh, from a book by a researcher. Oh, gosh, what's the name of that book? I read it in, and this is an interesting book. Let me go to my files sure. here in just a moment. No problem. I, I also, you just raised about three questions real quick, and, and um, I'll hold them off. But And this is a great book. Here it is. It's called The New Underworld Order, <laughs> Triumph of Criminalism, Dark Actors Playing Games by Christopher Story. Oh, which all is right. a, yeah. it's a, unfortunately he wrote, he wrote it way too long. It's got 700 pages or something like that, but uh, it's well worth a read. I'll actually send you a copy right now. Oh, that, that's beautiful. Um, I will say this, uh, uh, in a Civil War series that I'm still doing, I had addressed Albert Pike uh, through an essay written by a professor, uh, several of them uh, which contributed essays to a book collated uh, by some people at St. Leo University. It was called Divided We Fall. Uh, I think they did a really good job. They did it from a Confederate point of view, but they did it as, um, I think, objective and as analytical as possible. The thing they said about Pike was they stuck kind of more to the facts, and they said that, you know, the guy really was a pretty much a, I don't know, profiteer, if you would say, an opportunist. Um, they kind of downplay uh, his role with uh, that rogue Indian band that uh, supposedly you know, took scouts on behalf of the Confederacy. But it's interesting because they didn't want to go too deep into his other um, pursuits, I guess, and they just left it at that. Of course, to me, and I'm sure to you also, William, uh, what he wrote, talking about tomes, uh, right. morals and dogma, and that's that's a nasty piece of literature, which I'm sure they didn't want to get involved with. But, sure. Uh, uh, yeah. I just read recently that the, that was based on uh, works by... Eliphas Levy or Alfred Lewis Constant, who was Aleister Crowley's favorite writer. Uh, is my mm. understanding, and I have to do the research to do the comp comparison between Morals and Dogma and uh, the works of Alfred Lewis Constant or Eliphas Levy, but it's my understanding that he ripped off <laughs> Alfred Lewis Constant like wholesale. like that, That's our boy. Pages. Yep, that's, that's Albert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so. Albert's M.O. Um, well, well he could have gotten away with it because originally the works of Alfred Lewis Constant were all in French, so he probably just had to translate and then just ripped them off for all I know. I really don't. Uh, I, don't I haven't confirmed that either. Th this is a winsome question. I just want to ask you, have you ever read the works of um, Ambrose Beers? Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, the Devil's Dictionary? It would seem to me that two of those would, would be great at cards, uh, try, yeah, trying yeah. to cheat each other. Oh, um, now, okay, now, uh, you, you did go looking into your resources. You got what you wanted? Is that... Well, uh, I'm just trying to, I just, the the book was The New Underworld Order that references the Rose Law okay. Firm, so I'm just trying to find the actual quote here. I'm trying to do a, a quick search, but... Also, uh, if, if you're doing that, go ahead and do it. Let me just say this so that folks uh, can uh, be apprised a little bit of what happened with Hubble. I thought the guy died. He did not. But it said on June 30th, 1999, Hubble entered into, Hubble entered into a new plea agreement with Ken Starr, and that's another old story resolving right. the second and third indictments against him. He pleaded guilty to two charges and was sentenced to one year's probation. Uh, in the uh, prior November, he was indicted by Starr for a third time, this time for fraud and lying to the White House Banking Committee. In other words, he walked. He got, his, he got a slap on the wrist, he got a finger in his face, and he's lucky to come away with his life if you know the Clintons. Yeah, yeah, he was. So here's the quote okay. from the New Underworld Order. This is by Christopher Story, who died after the, the book was published. Uh, I think he was old, older guy, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you never know. Anyway, he right. says here, 
This is from page uh, 448. It says, uh, Pike developed these demonic plans probably under satanic influence at a mansion he built for himself located in Little, Little Rock, the headquarters today of the Rose Law Firm with which Mrs. Hillary Clinton, codenamed Queen Melusina, is associated. So I guess she's got a codename too. Uh, who knows? Um, all right. <clears throat> Working back um, from what last you said to what you said earlier, that, that created some questions. What I find really yeah. interesting about this whole Kenneth Starr versus Bill Clinton thing is that it lasted as long as it did, really came up, came up with very little, and also the two of them are members of the Council on Foreign Relations. That The whole thing was a shadow show. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Yeah, I, mean, these, I the, think that it was kind of an elite message to Bill to back down, and they knew they weren't going to you know, get rid of him. I guess you know, I, I, he was close to being impeached. I mean, he got, what, impeached in the... In the Senate and not in the House, is that right? If, yeah. I, if I recollect. Yeah, it, I mean, there was a lot of drama there. There was, it was, he was close to getting hunted. And, and the Star Report, if you look in the footnotes, the footnotes are, Star Report footnotes are better than the actual report itself. Yep. They put some juicy details in there that they knew the public would never look at. But those details are that, you know, Clinton, he wasn't just one girl, Lewinsky. He had seven other girlfriends at the same time. And a lot of the perversions that were taking place in the, the Oval Office were a lot worse than the whole cigar story. But oh, I won't uh, relate those to you. But I would suggest if people really want some juicy details, go back and look at uh, look at the footnotes. You know, perhaps, well, without a doubt, the most disturbing element of Eyes Wide Shut was that scene at whatever mansion that was. Right. Uh, and yet, also, that is very accurate. Uh, when you deal with especially men, I have to say, it's, let's, let's call it what it is, uh, who believe, uh, as in what Joseph Conrad wrote about Heart of Darkness, that when you really have nothing over you, you know, when there's nothing to, to in a sense, you're above the law, you, what, what do human beings tend to do? They become corrupt. Uh, and right. that scene uh, is, is, uh, is not fiction, unfortunately. And then you think of, like, the Hellfire Club and the Golden Showers Club and going back to Benjamin Franklin. So is it a right. real stretch to think that Billy wasn't messing around in that same fashion? No. No, it's not a stretch at all. No. I mean, he worked his way through so many women. There were so many women that came forward, and there was a lot more that didn't because they were afraid. Some of them came forward for their lives, but I think there was, well, there was what, one lady whose husband died on a deserted road. He supposedly committed suicide, and there was like Juanita Broderick, which I mean, this is. <laughs> well, did you watch the uh, the DV, the documentary, the Clinton Chronicles? Yes. All right. So you want to stand? I mean, if anybody has a doubt about this, and of course William and myself, I, I, I don't believe William, you are at all a partisan uh, political follower. This is just what powerful people do. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I used to be. I mean, I was yeah, when so I was, was I. Mm -hmm. naive and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of a more provincial person before I went mm -hmm. to D.C. I was, I would hate, to, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to say, but I was a Republican. You know, I was like, this is like the, the people who supported the Constitution, and mm -hmm. you know, they presented themselves as people who were trying to support the law, and I just realized it was all baloney. You know, and once I did that, now I'm just both parties are just a two-headed duopoly no. of monstrosity. You know. It's, it's, so. it's a Punch and Judy show to keep your eyes off the real handler. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. But, folks, I tell you what, you might even be able to see this on YouTube and Google. I mean, I don't know. I never tried, but now that I think of it, I mean, I had a DVD, and I thought I was, it was ap absolutely rapting. Um, the two things that struck me real quick, Bill, and that is 
the, the Bureau, uh, the Arkansas Bureau of Investigation officers who were being interviewed, and they, and they kind of looked wistfully in the camera, you know, almost like they still don't believe it to this day. But they, but they said, you know, we had everything on him when he was governor, and somehow, some way, he got away. Right. And I mean, the way, but the way they looked at it, it's like, you know, what am I going to tell you? We had him dead to rights. How did he get, how did he get away? The other thing is, right. there's a very attractive woman in there, so I guess she's in her 50s by now, who was in that close coterie around Clinton. Right. And they interview her, if you remember, throughout the, the DVD. And at one point, this is pretty good um, videography, she, she talks about, about how she was threatened that if she ever talked about what took place, she'd land up in jail. And, and if you remember, the camera pulls back. She's got it on like an orange jumpsuit and his barbed wire box. And she goes, and I, here I am. Yeah, I vaguely remember, remember that. Remember that? Oh, yeah. man, it, that hit me. So in anyway, uh, you don't have to take our words for it. Go, go take a look, folks, at, at that, that documentary and argue with me. Even if you're like entrenched Democrat idiots, take a look at that and tell me that that guy wasn't uh, greased. I mean, come on. Give me a break. Now, all right, we talked about the Council of Foreign Relations. The two of them are in it. They can't possibly be at their throats and, and be sitting like lambs in the CFR. Impossible. Yeah, no way. Now, I want to backtrack to one other thing. I checked this thing out, and it seems like it is true. Do you want to tell us at all, if you know anything, about the uh, person who was in charge the night of the supposed suicide of Foster, who was working for the National Reconnaissance Office? I didn't. I didn't hear anything about. That. I think you and okay. I had talked about that right. in the past, but I, I'm not familiar with that story. Please tell me about no, it. No, I mean because this backs up exactly what you said. And I had heard that whoever was, well, the gentleman that was working the shift that night, there was at least the supervisor. Apparently, they saw something from a bird that was anomalous on the White House lawn, and he called in him being dutiful, and he wound up dead. And I went to the. All right, so that's the story. Okay, do I believe it? Uh, yeah, maybe. But I went to the National Reconnaissance website, and this is like maybe two, three years ago. And he, there's kind of a page for him in memoriam because he died of an unsolved murder. Wow. And that's, that's the truth. I'm telling you straight. So I don't know if it's still up there, but when I went to that site, I think it's, it's nro.gov. I have no idea. You, anybody can find it. But what I found so strange was that gentleman had a memoriam to him of an unsolved murder. That's all I need to know. Well, you know, that's the way these operations work. When they really want to off somebody, they don't just off that person. They off whoever's around there who saw the crime and who can testify to the real story. So, you know, this is the same thing that happened when they killed Princess Diana. It's like a whole bunch of other people oh. started dying and getting burned out in cars and, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the uh, you know, method of operation. Well, I mean, I, I was there in the 70s, and... I think everybody's kind of on their best behavior to a certain degree because Nixon had gotten uh, spanked and sent out of D.C. Right. Uh, and so you had a whole lot of temporary people in the Bureau, and, I mean, uh, in, in everything, well, in the Bureau too, but I mean uh, in D.C. And it was kind of, I guess, a time of uh, regrouping and tightening up. Um, but it would seem to me, I mean, as much as we know about Kennedy's, uh, JFK's uh, assignations and such, uh, they still seem to be somewhat, I don't know, kind of, controlled by some kind of understanding, some civility. However, crazy Billy, I mean, I, I'm wondering what they had to do in D.C. to make sure a lot of this stuff didn't happen. He just ran amok, it seemed to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was 
there were so many people dying, and I mean, it's uh, it was crazy when I was out there for the, that time. And, you know, everybody kind of knew too that strange things were happening, and you know, everybody. I just remember myself saying back then, you know, I'm not suicidal. I'm not suicidal. I wanted everybody to know because, you know, people were turning up suicided. So, you know, you just want to make sure that everybody around you know you're never going to commit suicide, yep. so that you, they can't come up with stories and and. You know, a lot of people don't know that D.C. is just a it's, a, it's a swamp in more ways than one. I mean, it was built on a swamp, but it's a swamp of, like, intelligence agents, assassins, mm -hmm. and oh. uh, intrigue. Like, you can't even believe. I mean, it's unreal. There's a reason why it's below sea level. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but I'll, I'll tell you another thing to, to share with you about him. Um, there's a, a, a Christian woman out in Nebraska who uh, was former Air Force, and she was in Europe. And uh, she got a chance to meet Clinton. So she actually bit on what everybody bites on in America. I mean, have you ever seen a president that wasn't Christian? You know what I mean? No. Right. They're all Christian. Okay. Right. Now, sure. she said that she's in a line uh, where he's going down to meet the troops and such. And uh, she claims, and there's something more to this also. She said that she uh, shook his hand, said, you know, you know, praise God and all this other stuff. And Clinton looked at her and went like, yeah, right. And just kept on going. Now, we don't have a hard time believing that, but here's what shook her up. And that was she was supposed to be in the crew that flew, all right, help me out with here, Ron. Ron Brown, right. Right, to his destination. And like Croatia or wherever the right, crew crashed, right. right. And, and her crew was bumped, and they said, no, they're giving it to a crew, I guess, that was more favored because it was like a high-profile thing. And so they had to step down, and, of course, you know what you know. Right. And uh, and she said the same thing. She said all the skinny was was that he was killed. And yeah. there's another. And there was like, actually, my understanding was there was a couple of survivors, and they greased them too to make sure that there was nobody talking. Uh, it no. was yes, it was reported that one was alive on the way down. And she might have told me this. I, I you know it's, whether it's the accounts or what she had said to me. She said one was alive and well on the way down. I think it might have been a female. And by the time she got to yeah. the bottom of the mountain, she was dead. Yeah. Now of course you could say, okay, look, she expired. I understand that. But you know, in a situation like that. Yeah, I mean, it actually begat the thing we all kid about in a gallows humor sort of way, and that is, oh, you mean um, a suicide with, self, with three self-inflicted gunshot wounds? Right. Right, we got it. All right, so anyway, um, yeah, uh, and Billy had a long line on that kind of behavior. Let me ask you this. I don't know if you want to say it or not, but did you go to George Mason Law? I don't want to say it. Okay, don't. It's all right, and the reason I say that is because in the 70s, one of the things you find out when you work in D.C., and I think you'll bear witness to this, without a doubt um, and I was in the FBI and we were low level which is grunts um, in the basement working on gas and oil bills incurred by the agents uh, but what, you know you would hear rumors but the rumors turned out, to, turned out to be good information so you realized that either deliberately or just because you know human beings see things and it's usually you know secretaries who type stuff up and tell their boyfriends in a moment of uh, you know amor um, about the way things really are um, and, and, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we would hear all the time in the Bureau, and it would turn out to be true. So, you know, a lot of skinny that you hear around D.C., you really have no problem believing that it's probably one way or the other uh, going to turn out to be true. One of the things that we heard was that the Bureau was going to start hiring, remember this is 76, Right. Uh, females and minorities. So they had a, a fast track. Of course, there's no such thing as that, but, it, you know, there you go. The other I thing was it. that if anybody went uh, to get an accounting 
or a law degree. They did not have to pass the bar, but if they got an accounting or a law degree, um, they would get fast-tracked as well. Well, there was no way in the world I was going to get an accounting or a law degree. Uh, a couple of close people to me who have now since retired the Bureau quickly went to the nearest school they could go to and got that accounting degree. And one of the schools that was uh, preferred by them, I guess, because of night classes was George Mason. That's the only reason I ask you, because... Um, a lot of the, of the guys that I, w I was with at that time went to George Mason. And you well, have to it was say. comfortable. They have a great night school program. They mm -hmm. have a, a, it's a commuter campus. Their real campus is farther south, but they have one right across the Key Bridge. Right, exactly. Uh, in Clarendon, I think it's still. Yeah, know. and at that time and, also. Uh, it was favored. You know, it's a, it's a very right-wing school, right-wing right area, and uh, they like to, to recruit out of there for intelligence jobs. <laughs> Also, I, I believe that they might have used as a satellite in those days uh, Northern Virginia Community College. I, I, I think that rings a bell now as I think of it. But anyway, all right, you don't want to talk about it, and that's cool. But um, at any rate, that's what was going on in those days. But I bring this up also because, again, just like you know, uh, when stuff starts getting circulated, usually it's true. Right, yeah. The other thing that, that I learned when I went to D.C. is everybody knew everything. I was a, a naive uh you know, ostensibly, you know, kind of a stupid provincial, really. I believed everything I, I learned in high school. I, you know, thought the media was honest. Yep. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed to say that, but, uh, you know, when I got there and, you know, really started reading, and this is like right when the Internet was coming around, and I'm a curious person, so I would read, uh, you know, documents on the Internet. I, w I was like, once I was started working for uh, Clark and... You know, I found out about Vince Foster. That, like, opened my eyes to a whole bunch of other stuff that happened in the past. And, uh, you know, by the way, that's when I kind of came across uh, Mike Rivero's site. He had one called Rancho Run Amucca, and he he <laughs> focused a lot on, mm -hmm. you know, the bogus stories of Vince Foster. So that's kind of, I've been a reader of what really happened for, like, 15 years now, back before it was what really happened. Uh, but... Uh, you know, everybody knew that Kennedy, I mean, when I got to Washington, they knew Kennedy had been killed by the government and Robert Kennedy. Mm -hmm. They all know, and they don't talk about it. It's all kept quiet, and people just, you know, keep their mouth shut, and uh, they know that, you know, they're in trouble if they go and, you know, tell right. the truth about these events. Their but, careers will be jeopardized. Their lives will be jeopardized in that city but you uh, see because there's so much, you know, weight placed upon maintaining that lie. And I didn't understand that. And once I got there, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, so this is this is really how it works. Because, like I said, everybody knows. They all know. They just don't talk. Uh, but you see, you bring up a good point. And those who may say that, that uh, okay, let, let's face it, the world runs by conspiracies. Let's not be, you know, you're not naive about it. Absolutely. Right. If, if you don't think there's conspiracies, you don't know. I mean, I'm not saying you individually, but mm -hmm. a person doesn't know anything about history. Because all of history is fraught with conspiracy. And it's disgusting to think that actually, that there's Christians out there who will naysay these types of realities because the entirety of the New Testament is conspiratorial. And it's a subtext that's not emphasized because you're trying, you know, it's basically a proof of the divinity and messiahship of Jesus Christ. But the whole, I mean, mm -hmm. Mary had to go to Egypt. She, uh, you know, Herod was trying to kill all the kids in Bethlehem. Uh... Christ's first, you know, public preaching, they were went after him, I mean, and then they conspired to, to uh, you know, put him on the cross. So uh, it's an absurdity to, you know, have this conspiracy theory. The whole word conspiracy theory is a joke because 
all of at least what I talk mm-hmm. about, I back up with evidence. So, and a lot of other people do. So, if anybody even bandies about that bogus phrase, they should really go check themselves. Sorry. Uh, no, that's no. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> this, this is Rain Central. <laughs> so, all right. No, you, but you're right. And a couple of, of things also, and that is, uh, it had to be. It was foretold. But the way in which it happened. And the group of people who instigated and made sure it happened, I'm talking about the crucifixion of Christ, it, it, it couldn't have been more perfect as far as what Christ was trying to point out. Because he could have, what, he, he uh, wagged his finger in the faces of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he raised people from the dead, he healed the sick, he gave sight to the blind, he changed water into wine, but three days after chasing the bankers out of the temple, guess what? He was in front of Pilate, and there's a message there for everybody. Um, and as you well realize, too, that the two groups of people, I guess professions you would say, that Christ had the most vituperous words for were bankers and lawyers. <laughs> so, and it's deserved. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a law degree. I'm a member of the State Bar of California. I do not practice law. I can't stand it. So no, but, I, I, learned, I learned my lesson the hard way. Yeah, and I mean, there were plenty of good bankers and lawyers out there. I mean, yeah, we know that. But well, they don't practice anymore because they all want to get out. There, you'd be yeah, surprised how yeah. many lawyers hate their profession. It's it's in like at least a third to a half. Uh, very. They good. just felt like they went through three years of torture to learn about it, and then they woke up and said, "Oh my God, now I'm stuck in this career." So uh, interesting uh, that you should say that because the former partner of mine in the show, uh, Harry Spencer. His father-in-law is a longtime legal person and judge up in Georgia, I guess around Albany, Georgia. Uh, but um, he, had, he had done some lectures. Uh, they went up on YouTube. Harry sent them to me. He goes, and he goes, I don't have to tell you what he's telling these people. And that's exactly what he's saying, William. He's like, it's a different world now, you know, in, in the legal profession, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's sad. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's too bad, really. Well, but, you know, again, I mean, and I'm, this is interesting because at the same time, um, I'm getting hit with a lot of emails. I mean, it, it just happens like this. It's, you don't really know what's going to take place, but you can almost see a collective pulse in any group and those who listen to the show and understand what we're all saying about the whole thing about America's in a myth. It's okay because that's the way things are done, uh, that there are conspiracies without a doubt. But everybody's lamenting the fact that, that it's too bad, but this is the world that was created by the evil one, and the Lord knew we'd have to live in it and we'll be okay. But you're not going to get victories by trying to punch out bad, bad people and overthrowing the government. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not going to work. The thing is to, act, to actually thrive and not be of it, though you may be in it. And a lot of people are writing, and they're frustrated. You know, they, isn't there some way we can give a black eye to the NWO? Well, no, there isn't. But you can't steal yeah. souls from Satan. That's okay. That's why we're here. So at any rate. But conspiracy, yeah, let's say this. One, Harry Truman had a great quote. He said, the only thing new is the history you don't know about. Now, Harry, the good old 33rd degree Freemason, knew what he was talking about. I think that's a great quote. And I ripped it, and we put it on mugs, and I did a little change to say, the only conspiracy you don't know. What is it? The only, uh, oh, Lord, what is it now? The, the only conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, the only conspiracy is the history you don't know about. So thank right. you, Harry, for that, because it's true. And yeah. one of the interesting things I found going back into uh, – uh, the microfish, uh, microfiche for um, uh, newspapers and magazines is there was, um, a, I think it was a Newsweek uh, book review, which just absolutely blasted these two guys for writing this book, The Invisible in Government, <clears throat> which was about the Bay of Pigs and all this other stuff. But anyway, they were seen as being traitors, and they were called conspiracy theorists. 
1964. Right. But that was birthed out of the Kennedy assassination, which got me off on this rant. And that's where we're going with this. Since the time people thought that that assassination stunk when it happened, you had to have this demonizing of anybody who talked uh, about something other than what was in the mainstream, correct? Right, correct. So you're absolutely right. There are conspiracies. They're not theories. They're facts. Uh, but, Certainly. But you've also just told us here all, uh, you know, about how you can keep something so big so quiet. I mean, isn't it the story first? They threaten your job. They'll threaten your right. pension, or they start yep. they start sending you photographs of your wife and kids at the supermarket. Yeah, or blackmail you, or follow you. Uh, yep. You'd be surprised. I, I mean, when I when I I mean, there's more to the story about me and John Clark and and Patrick Knowlton, but I mean, I saw what happened to Patrick Knowlton, and I know what happened to me. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 real, and it it's surreal, and it's also it uh, it's at least back then when you couldn't. You didn't have the internet to verify and, uh, you know, basically back up facts, but it's a very uh, alienating event because most people don't believe that it happens or that it can be happened. So your, uh, you know, the harassment by the police state is assumed to be a phantasm, a phantasm in your mind. So they they view you as crazy, and they also don't want to address these difficulties. They'd much rather be compartmentalized and stay in their own safe space instead of, uh, you know, addressing these kind of abuses. So, You're listening to William Ramsey, and his website is occult911.com. Uh, you see it there with the links as well uh, with this audio. Um, he's been on to speak to a number of things. Uh, Prophet of Evil, uh, I tell you what, that was your first work, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a, an opus right there and then. And um, he also has Occult Hollywood, which is in um, a DVD form. Um, Alistair Crowley, Prophet of Evil, i got to tell you, thank you very much for sending me that link about, was it George Barrick, remember? George Barrett. Barrick. Barrick. Barrick? Um, do you remember he was in, he had some doings with Alistair Crowley. Uh, during World War II, the reason I bring him up is because he's... Oh, Virek, Virek. Virek, yeah. you call him? Okay. Sorry, I heard it. My fault. Uh, I'm from Jersey. These things happen. Okay. Um, but what was so interesting is I'm reading about Virek. <laughs> Virek, yeah. V-I-E-R-E-C-K. Right. He was the uh, German propagandist for the international and the fatherland, I think. That's right. Uh, but he also was somebody who was trying to get the... Um, um, and uh, I guess you don't want to call them announcements, but warnings, well, whatever you want to call it, uh, from the from Germany, saying, "Look, do not put pe don't put people in Lusitania and send her over, because we know you've got munitions and stores in there. And okay, look, we're gonna we're gonna play it by the rules." And of course, only one paper wrote it, uh, actually ran it here. Uh, Varick was trying to get it in all like some 50 major uh, U.S. dailies. Didn't happen. Wilson didn't say a word. And you, you know, and I, I guess we were wondering out loud or whatever, but you actually could connect him with having dealings with Crowley. Not that they were in league necessarily, is that correct? But that Crowley was a no, spot. No, not at all. Right. They, Crowley was not in league with Rick. Crowley was more than likely, and the evidence is kind of scarce, but he's more than likely an agent for the British government, right. a very, um, you know, sidelined agent. But he was in contact with a lot of intelligence agents. He worked for Varekt as a kind of a mole right. in his operation right. against the Germans. Right, Crowley, strangely, was a, a real English loyalist, and there's no way he could have worked for Varekta as a true propagandist right. against the English and be allowed back into England. So, yeah, oh, yeah, good point. So here, I mean, here's a, a you know a point in time when 
the all-time bad guy, uh, Crowley, um, has some dealings with Varric. And, and although Varric tried to actually, I don't want to say broker peace, but, but make people understand, you, you know, you can't, keep going, you can't keep doing this, and we're going to play by the real rules of war, which, by the way, everybody observed in a sense, and that the Germans were not animals for what happened. Um, but what's interesting also is that William Bri uh, Jennings Bryan, and I think you remember I told you about this, was trying to get this word out, and he was having problems uh, with Robert Lansing, who eventually stole his job as Secretary of State, no big deal, and Lansing turns out to be the uncle of, guess who, the Dulles Brothers. Isn't that great? Oh, my God. This is the best. Wow, you can't make that up. I can't. So what happens is Brian is basically muffled. The, the whole situation happens, and Brian, uh, uh, Brian um, resigns. And, and, you know, actually, in through history, I'm looking at this guy as not being that bad a character. So... But, but there's... Well, it's interesting you mentioned the Dulles Brothers. Their white shoe law firm was Sullivan and Cromwell in New York City, and they were, uh, you know, there with John J. McCloy, who Alan Dulles uh, was on the uh, Warren Commission with. So it was Alan Dulles, John J. McCloy. I mean, you know, it's just a total fixed job. And when I was in law school, one of my professors, very hard right wing guy, was a uh, former partner from Sullivan and Cromwell. What do you think about that? <laughs> It's, so, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I'll make this up. I'm yeah. not making this up. Uh, again, so, I mean, and he spouted a lot of their position. I mean, that is like about as hardcore WASP power uh, center as you could probably get on the East Coast. It's Sullivan and Cromwell. It used to be. It's, they've changed a lot. A lot of the principles from back then have passed away, and the character of the organizations are never really stagnant but uh, or static. Um, if we can move on to another... Um Sure. Uh, bullet point um, in the uh, the itinerary that you sent me. Uh, one of the things that uh, Christians go back and forth about seems to be a lightning rod for good reason for all kinds of criticism and questions, and that is Shackley. Right. <laughs> do, do you want to tell us about good old Ted? Well, I just had I I did never met Ted Shackley, but you know he's called the Blonde Ghost. He was a CIA agent, operated in Operation Phoenix, but. You know, when we would go out drinking, we'd go to Georgetown or, like, uh, there's a place called the Third Edition. And, you know, I had a lot of different friends of different stripes. And uh, there were a lot of people from my hometown in D.C. But we would go out, and one of this, one of my buddy's friends was Ted Shackley's daughter. And uh, she was a really very attractive woman. And uh, the interesting thing about that is she worked for ExxonMobil. So she had, but she didn't really work for them. She had a job there. Uh, she had a black Exxon credit card that she could charge whatever she wanted. And so, essentially, everybody wanted to go out drinking with her because Absolutely. she would just cover the tab, and it would be covered by by the oil company. So um, Ted must have done some really good work for the oil oil giant. Uh, and that's what happens to a lot of these, you know, and what happens in, you know, I'm very, I'm much more familiar with a lot of these intelligence guys, but once they leave the office, they never really leave but a lot yeah. of times they start their own, uh, what they call a consulting business, and uh, they name it some kind of, you know, funny name like Global uh, Investment Partners, Global, you know, mm -hmm. Consultancy, or you know, something really vague. But essentially, what they do is uh, juice the whole system for big corporations, so they ensure that international, you know, money can go to Nigeria or Liberia or you know, Kuala Lumpur and make sure that the politicians get paid off, that the business keeps going, that, you know, upstart communists get killed and, 
you know, all these things happen, and, you know, nobody really knows what's going on. That's really what Ted Shackley did when he was done, uh, you know, working for the government. Um, I, I know this would have been a big deal uh, for you because at, at that time, I, I don't know if you knew the Lord, and I kind of think you did, and I know I didn't when I was down there. But did, uh, did anything ever rise up about the CNP, the, Co the Council on National Policy? I have a vague familiarity with it. Isn't that like a right-wing uh, Christian thing? Yeah, Christian thing. I, I didn't. I wasn't. I I was. Uh, you know, it was lawyer. What was the the group that I was involved in? It was called. Oh Lord, my memory is just not. Oh, I I was involved with like a a right-wing legal uh, group, and uh, you know we go and see the Supreme Court justice. What was the black guy's name? Um, oh, God. Are you talking about Jordan? What? what? You're not talking about Burton. Not Burton Jordan, the, the Supreme yeah. Court justice who got busted for the porn movies. Oh, yeah, that's right, Clarence. Clarence Thomas. So we saw Clarence <laughs> Thomas at the Mayflower Hotel, and uh, oh, he had like a 10-minute, literally a 10-minute standing ovation by all these right-wingers. It was so bizarre. I wish I could have had it on tape. I mean, these people just wouldn't sit down. It was, it was unreal. Uh, was was Sidney uh, Biddle around in those days? Sidney Biddle, I don't. What was, that? was it the Ma that was the Mayflower Madam, wasn't it? Sidney oh. Sidney Biddle Barrows or something like that. I don't know. They all got no, three I names. No, I think I think that it already happened. But the Mayflower okay. is interesting. I'd eaten there a couple times with my uh, back then my girlfriend, who's now my wife. But the Mayflower Motel Hotel is off of Connecticut. It's close to the White House. It's in between. Uh, on the way from the White House to to DuPont Circle. I used to live close to DuPont Circle when I first okay. moved out. They called it the Fruit Loop <laughs> because that's Circle. where all the gay people live. But uh, all the right. Mayflower Hotel runs on an east-west axis, and there's a central hall that runs from the check-in to the back of the whole building. And if you're there, you can just watch the high-class prostitutes just stroll like it was out on a street corner or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was unreal. And I think I ate there at like five or six, and we just sat there and watched them walk by. I mean, it's probably five, you know, within an hour. And you could just tell. Sure. I mean, it was obvious. They're alone, very, you know, well-dressed, a uh, little bit too, you know, revealing, <laughs> but classy. But still, oh, yeah. you know, you could just go, this person's out of place, not with somebody, not with kids. Uh, as we would say, just something, anyway. uh, just a little something you threw on, honey, to come out for dinner tonight. Uh, and I'm assuming they had no problems getting busted either. Well, what, what a surprise! Um, yeah, I don't. I think that they just look the other way. I think that the oh, cops yeah. are in on it, and they just, yeah. you know, they know what's happening. They know mm -hmm. what happens, and those are allowed. There's parts of of uh, there's this part in northern D.C. that where D.C. is broken up into sections, and those sections are overseen by certain jurisdictions of cops, but there was a corner where they all met. It was kind of like a four corners, almost like the states. Mm -hmm. And the prostitutes, that's where they would uh, congregate. So they'd just walk from one jurisdiction to the next to the next and walk in between each uh, police jurisdiction so that if they saw the cops coming, they'd just cross the street and the cops wouldn't bust them. I mean, it's unreal. Well, so, not to make too much hay about this, but, I mean, the FBI building, the Hoover building is on 14th in Pennsylvania. And I, I thought 14th or 12th was one of the uh, red light districts, uh, but not of the same caliber, you know, that you're talking about. I, I think it's changed. That was back then, and things yeah. have moved. You know, that whole area over there, after they put in the new stadium, it's, it's apparently really high class right now and real nice. It wasn't back when I was there 15 years ago. All right, so in, imminent domain strikes again and, and upscales the area, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, they went through. I mean, Chinatown was in a seedy part of of uh, D.C. back then, and now it's not. It's it's real high class. Um, one last thing I just want to ask you, because Jeff Long once in a while goes there to uh, drink to my memory. Um, but I used to go to the Hawk and Dove. You remember that place? Hawk and Dove. It sounds familiar. I, I probably, I've been to, sadly, I had to admit. No, that's okay. I'm I mean, we At least there. back then I used to go to quite a few. I, I used to spend time in Georgetown because I could just yep. walk across the Key Bridge. I, would, I lived in northern Virginia, so I just walked across the Key Bridge. But Hawk and Dove. The Hawk and Dove, if I remember correctly, if, I mean, if you're walking west right to the Capitol, you, you just, you'd go to the right of the Capitol, which we, I guess would be a little northwest of it. And it was right in that area. Uh, I, I would be surprised if you didn't go there because it was just so convenient. And my buddy and I, um, who was also with the Bureau for the time that we, you know, we were there, um, and um, I moved from Alexandria to uh, Laurel, and we used to go to Union Station to catch a train to go up to Laurel. But we used to go there every so often. So I know it's kind of up in there on the hill. But No, little... I've been to the Hawk and Dove. Yeah, no. I have. Uh, they, say they have a pool table in the back. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly where that is. I used to work by there when I, you know, I wasn't one of the privileged uh, few who had all his expenses covered. But I used to work south of the Capitol, and uh, there was a, a Mexican restaurant there that I'm not sure if it's still there. But um, I waited tables, and you know, I'd see all these guys come in who were uh, television reporters and all this other stuff. It was called Tortilla Coast. Oh really? It's on the corner. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It's on the. It's near oh, Bull right. Feathers. You remember Bull Feathers Bar? Uh, the name, yes, but never been there. No, I, I've heard okay. that, but yeah. No, the Hawk and Dove. Well, and I have an interesting story about Tortilla Coast. There was a guy from your neck of the woods, Florida, and I didn't know he was a congressman. But this guy would come in for lunch and order like two, two glasses of scotch on the rocks, uh, three fingers worth, and we just, God, man, this guy is really drinking hard. Well, it turned out the guy was a congressman from Central Central Florida. So we did some research on him to try to figure out, you know, where he was from. His picture looked like he looked like this upstanding guy, but if you saw him in Tortilla Coast, I mean, he had the sweaty face of a drunk, like his nose would sweat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, he was drinking all day. It was incredible. Our tax dollars, and, hard know, work. They must have, what they do is that what they must have done is, you know, every time he had to go back to the to Florida, they must have just made him clean dry him out and mm -hmm. clean him up and put some makeup on and go back and, press the flesh and smile and con him for another two years. Works every time. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Um, but but um, as far as Shackley goes, um, the story uh, is... Well, it, I just thought it was interesting because an interesting vignette because mm -hmm. uh, his daughter was just had carte blanche with this credit card with ExxonMobil, and she didn't do any work. She was like a consultant, but I think, you know... Yeah, I, I, it was it was amazing. You reach between the lines there. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, the thing is, she'd run up hundred, two hundred dollar bills, like, and just smile and laugh the whole time. She wasn't, you know, people get nervous when other people are usually spending their money, but she didn't give a rat's butt. You know. Before we move on to um, uh, your your, your uh, um, thoughts about the presidential inauguration of '96, if that's okay. Yeah. So. Here's here's one thing I want to ask you because you're in California. Right. I thought this thing was was stunk from day one. Uh, this started before I actually realized what was going on, and it continued through to just I guess last year. And that is, there's something that doesn't make any sense to me, because I remember the first reports about this, and the way that they've kind of like been forgotten about. And that is, real quickly, the uh, death of Chandra Levy. Right. 
Now, if you remember in the very beginning, the story was that she had left her belongings in the house as if somebody had called her and said, look, just run down real quick. I want to talk to you. And that she trusted the person who might have called her. Then later on through the years, of course, it turned out to be, well, she was out jogging. Now they got a guy uh, that's been fingered for the murder who, interestingly, is out in your state in the penal system and not very far from where the Levies live, the mother and father. Um, The reason I'm going to go here in case you want to pitch in on this, and that is, one, um, the whole thing stunk. Uh, They supposedly had combed the park in which they finally found her bones the second time around. And what was really interesting is uh, Mrs. Levy, who was the one of the two, it always seems to be the wife, not the uh, the husband, uh, or uh, the mother, not the father, who has like this, um, I guess, exchange all the time with media. But Mrs. Levy said, I think something to the effect of, well, it's over, but it doesn't really bring closure. Right. And I thought that was really interesting because it was a jailhouse supposed confession that banged this guy uh, who happens to be out there now, you know, who supposedly was in D.C. and, and committed this murder. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, because, you know, this whole well, thing. Well, I had done, you know, I looked into it, and the whole thing is, is, is baloney. I don't think that that guy did it. I remember the part of the story that, you know, it was, I think it was uh, Rock Creek Park where she was supposedly jogging. Right. And, I mean, they did some investigation. Condit is just a, a monster. Uh, that was a guy who supposedly did it. And I know they combed over. There was a just, there's a much deeper story there because they combed over his apartment, and there was, I mean, it's pretty grotesque, but there was something in his closet that they found that they weren't comf- they weren't comfortable disclosing to the public, and I don't really want to talk about. It, but there was also, it's clear that they were having uh, sex parties at that apartment, you know, because there was evidence, evidentiary proof that other men had been there and using it, and that's also kind of the story of a lot of these guys. They they all pool money together and rent apartments. I don't know if it was it was. This might be kind of different than what happened with Condit, but they rent apartments so they mm-hmm. can go party and yeah. cheat on their wives, and nobody knows about it. And, uh, you know, Condit was married, so I, I, you know, he's clearly playing the field, and there's a lot more to that story. Th- yeah, there is. Uh, and uh, this sounds strange. Understand something, that they made a movie about this with Jack Lennon and Shirley MacLaine called The Apartment. And uh, my sister worked for General Motors in New York, and she told me that, that in fact, that kind of thing happens. Where they have, like, what do you want to call it, the Joy Joy apartment or the Whoopi room? You know what I mean? Right, right. And that's what happens all the time. Now, the only thing I thought about Condon was that I thought he might have been used as a foil to get her out because she trusted him, but somebody, something, someone else snuffed her because of what she knew. And, of course, the story goes back to the fact that did she know where Carlos Letterer, the, uh, you know, one of the Colombian drug traffickers, disappeared from the penal system? She was also supposedly the one who had arranged the media for the, uh, quote, execution of Timothy McVeigh. You've heard that kind of stuff, haven't you? Charter Levy was associated with that? She was supposedly an intern in the Bureau of Prisons. Okay. So, no, I didn't get all that. My understanding okay. is why, why the, the rationale or the uh, motive was that she was a little too cloying with Condit. You know, he, he told her a whole bunch of lies that she believed. She was young and naive. That's my understanding. But Hmm. Okay, but uh, all right, that's fair enough. But uh, you know, I'm thinking that to to, uh, to kill somebody, they must have some knowledge of something. That, uh, are you thinking that was a direct threat to Condit? Yeah, because okay. I think that she it wasn't. She was 
there was other things going on other than her and Conda, and she knew too much, just like Jennifer, like Palfrey, you know, yep. the, the DC madam they, mm -hmm. they had hung. Oh, down and, here, uh, by the way. Yeah, Not I mean, very... she was she was clearly killed uh, for for knowing too much. She didn't know just she knew a lot about a lot of powerful people, and I'm sure a lot of those powerful people said, you know, my there's let's let's get somebody on that on the task, and uh, that was it. To his credit, Alex Jones did an interview with her. And just like you had said before, um, you saying, I'm not suicidal, I'm okay. She did the same thing on his show. Yep. Uh, so for that, I'll give him credit. Uh, and what happened was she wound up found uh, hanged in a, in a shed outside her mother's you know, uh, house. Yeah, and women don't hang themselves. They usually take uh, pills and get into bed. And, you know, uh, yeah, do, good point. They don't do violent, no violent uh, stuff, generally, uh, if they want to kill themselves. No, that's a very good point. Uh, I had to do uh, research one time about uh, adolescents at risk and, and, and other things, and it turns out you're absolutely right. Um, males will do it by uh, firearms mostly and as and the more grotesque things. Uh, right. Females are uh, very, uh, by the numbers, they are 66%, something like that, failed because they really don't want to do it. And when they right. do it, they do something really long so somebody can find them. Somebody can find them, or they do it where they, they're thinking more about the future and where people will find them if they really want to go through it. Right. So they think, like, yep. I'm going to do it nice and clean in a bathtub or in bed, and, you know, I don't want people to worry about it. But men are like, they don't really care. I'm going to no, they get it done. Or <laughs> jump off a, yeah, they get it jump done. Jump off a bridge or whatever. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Um, moving into, um, the, the, yeah, well, we were talking about the 1996 presidential inauguration. Uh, what about that? Well, I just, uh, I was there, and, you know, I just thought it was pretty interesting. You know, I've shook Bill Clinton's hand twice, so, you know, we were at that party. It was at uh, the convention center, and uh, just incredible amounts of security. I mean, it was amazing. There was a basically an, un, an un, undercover cop slash agent every 10 feet, so they had him. You would just be walking, and there'd be a guy just standing still. You walk another five feet in another direction, a guy standing still. Five feet. They literally they had them placed throughout the entirety of the convention center in a grid of every five feet, like a post, literally, like a post, a real post, and as a post for like an agent. And so you just people be dancing, and there'd be a guy standing right in the middle of them, not moving. So uh, you know, it was. Uh, but are, are you intimating that perhaps he had more protection because he was more loathsome or more Oh, loathed? no, I think they all do. I think that they know to get away with what they've got to get away with, they have to have, you know, secret service levels of security that the average person does not, cannot even comprehend. Uh, they have thousands and thousands of people uh, assuring their security. I, uh, I took a tour. I was able to take a tour of the White House, so I went under the White House I saw the bowling alley. I saw where, you know, the the there were the char marks where the the White House was burnt down in 1812, mm -hmm. and uh, I was t I was able to do that because uh, relative, well, I won't go into that. But okay. essentially, there is a level of protection at the White House that doesn't you would never know from the surface. Military, hardcore, intense, special forces security. Okay, um, I, I'm just wondering if we had a dropout here um, in volume. I guess we're okay. You are at that end? 
What's up? Okay, it's back. All right, no problem. I thought we had a little drop out there. No problem. Um, well, uh, you know, there's there was something else supposedly going on underneath the White House, and maybe you can speak to this or you can't, uh, but I'm just wondering because there was another death apparently attributed to somebody who knew too much during the, uh, the Kennedy assassination, that information comes someplace into the White House down in the basement or whatever, uh, and that, you know, again, those people are privy to information that nobody else is. And, of course, at those, those hours after Kennedy uh, was uh, shot, who knows what was going on, but somebody, I guess, who had access to something. Had, did you hear this story at all? No, not familiar. But I know the cleanup job was more important than even killing Kennedy. You know, after he died, they had to get rid of him. Hundreds of people who knew too much, so. I mean, I don't know, 50, 100, I'm not really sure what the actual real number is, but it was a lot. Yeah, and there's an old strange story about, and again, this is, this is another, the fodder for, so like, you know, 17 other shows, but, uh, the fact that he winds up going into the plane supposedly in one form of casket or something like that and comes out in another. Oh. At Bethesda, yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. There's so many problems with that story, oh. it's not, it's not even arguable at this point. Anybody who gets up and says that, he was shot by Oswald is either stupid, insane, or getting paid. Interesting. Or in on it. Interestingly, although uh, apparently Caroline Kennedy did not uh, at all uh, want to give any kind of, um, I guess, imprimatur for the making of this last uh, Kennedy series. Did you see this at all? Uh, not, I'm not familiar with it. All right. It came out a while ago, but apparently she wasn't really happy with it, and uh, she chased it off a couple of networks. It finally wound up with Reels, R-E-E-L-Z, that network. And, it, it, you know, it, came, it was all right. I mean, it, it came out and it kind of dealt with some of the CD stuff, uh, you know, his assignations and all that other stuff. Um, but it also, but, but um, you know, interestingly, you tell the line about Lee Harvey Oswald killing Kennedy. But the thing I always yeah. love about the, um, the portrayal of this is they got Lee... Uh, digesting, I mean, eating and digesting a, a chicken lunch, you know, a fried chicken dinner lunch. And I'm saying to myself, if I, am I going to do something like that? Are you kidding me? I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I'd be more hopped up than I was if I were going to play in the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, uh, it's, it's absurd. He had no idea what was coming. No. Okay, you're right. The most important thing about the Kennedy assassination almost isn't even uh, the assassination itself, which is important, but what led up and the characters who were involved. You know, there's a lot of uh, additional research that should be done about people like Dulles, Lansdale, oh, yeah. Harrelson, mm -hmm. you know, all these other people who were all on the scene. I mean, I think I've heard it from your show where you said they were all there. It was like a a crew of, yeah. you know, dark actors. And yeah. uh, it was it was like, I mean, uh, yeah, James Shelby Down has done some work in this, and it gets a little bit out there. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just going to say it's it's out there. But that, only, I mean, I, I, how can I say it, it was almost like a, a carnival of killing? Yeah. I mean, Nixon was out there, lied about being there. Bush was there, lied about being there. Jake right. or Hooper was there. It was almost like they were there spectating, like at, at yeah. a, you know, Johnson, like they all, they all wanted him to go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, I think I think Kennedy sensed that it was it was it was going to happen. Like he he fought against them. I mean, I think that the uh, JFK and the Unspeakable is a terrific book and should be read by every American so they understand what Kennedy was really up against. It didn't happen out of the blue. He was fighting, uh, you know, for a kind of a somewhat corrupt and seedy individual. He was fighting the good fight. He really was trying to forestall what he saw as Armageddon, you know, against a bunch of 
you know, warmongering nut jobs in a lot of ways. A lot. I mean, Lemnitzer, Lansdale, these guys were destroyers of nations all around the world, and they finally turned upon themselves and did it to the United States. The dogs of war. Yeah. Um, can you mention that title? Great movie, by the way. <laughs> you mentioned that book. Can you give us the book and author real quick, if you can? Yeah, it's uh, JFK and the Unspeakable. And the author is, let me find it. And it's really interesting. He he took a, James Douglas is the author's name, James Douglas. But he, he actually, he researched a lot of the people who uh, had their lives ruined because they knew too much. People who were so terrified of the mechanics of the police state that they were freaked out because they didn't expect anything like this could happen. They had nervous breakdowns or anxiety problems and mm-hmm. you know uh they were threatened and people left the you know country and all you know there's just a wrecking a wreckage that took place to ensure that that the mythological story that JFK was shot by uh you know Oswald was maintained and it's still it's still kind of ongoing i mean you can oh, see sure. history channels yeah. just as it's a joke so uh, you're talking about a 50 year myth 50 year lie the long con so to speak. And, when, you know, with 9-11, we're going to deal with that for 50 years, and, and more will come out. The more people are uh, removed uh, from the event uh, where those who were living during the time kind of have passed, uh, their children, you know, are, are now living, two things seem to happen. One, uh, more and more people who were involved talk about it, the real thing, right. and two, the more and more uh, people are distanced from it so that they really don't care about it. And in a sense, right. we're talking about, like, the, the uh, sinking of the Maine, the Lusitania, right. Pearl right. Harbor. You know, right. if, if you were to talk about Pearl Harbor the way we do now, back in, like, what, 1949, they'd kill you. Kill you or jail. Yeah. Crazy farm. Right. You know, you go to the, the rubber room and they give you a bunch of drugs and that would be it. You know? <laughs> oh, you're not. Uh, but, but now, you know, I mean, you can say it and it's like, oh, you know, th- you know, that's a good point. It might be. That's just the way human nature is. But that, in fact, is how it is. All right. Well, can you blame it? Do you know, I mean, do you know what it's like to go up against these uh, myths? I mean, these people's lives are ruined if they're not killed. I mean, it's it's a, it's a horror show. I mean, I can see why people keep their mouths shut. Well, but, but you see, that's priceless to what you just said. You're right. Uh, you know, all, all the ones who want to uh, maintain the status quo and such, you know, they usually just, you know, mouth off. It's like, okay, well, how do you keep such a thing quiet? And it's like, you have no idea, do you? You have no idea about how you can threaten things. Well, the mainstream media, they'll do what they're told to do. You only oh. have to catch a couple of people at the top. Everything else is trickle down. So, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you don't have to, like, scare the shit out of, like, what, you know, 25, 30,000 people. All you got to do is catch some, some main people, and it goes down that this is what we're doing and this is what we're yep. not doing. All you got to do is you get all the sheep assembled, you pick one out, you slit its throat in front of everybody else, and everybody else They get the fine. idea. That's right. Yep. And, and I'll tell you what, you're right. You know what, William, it's true. Everybody thinks it's such, you know, um, su- such studs. But if you were actually confronted with a situation like that, you know what? I don't. In a way, I don't blame people. It's. I mean, it's absolutely upsetting, frightening, and you know, do you want to ruin your life, your wife's life, and the you know the lives of your children? I understand. Yeah, no. It, you know? Yeah. It's um, real. It's legit. I mean, America's run is uh, is is with a tight is, as tight a grip as Nazi Germany or. Uh, Russia. It's just there's an illusion of freedom, and you know, I mean, I don't know how people can buy that nonsense after the banking scam and 
you know, two stolen elections, nine eleven. But you well, know, well, I tell you what, stick around because you're going to find out they're going to they're going to sell this thing. I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself that, you know, when I look at, it, I'm going, we can't repay this debt. I mean, this debt is like astronomical. <laughs> it's impossible. Okay, so I, I gather by your you know they're using the debt as part of a tool in the new York, new world order mm-hmm. to create change in conformance with their will. It's it's uh, it's total bogusness. It's not based upon anything in reality. But people, because they've sucked up to this almighty dollar uh, with a direct satanic symbol on the one dollar bill. I mean, you want to talk about the <laughs> utter cravenness and barrenness of Christianity? That's that satanic symbol with the eye and the triangle. Uh, Crowley, in one of his books, you know, he's, you know, he, he wanted to be in contact with the devil, and the devil told him in one of his books, and this is what Crowley wrote, but he said mm-hmm. to Crowley, the devil said, I am the eye in the triangle. So you have a direct satanic, demonic symbol on the back of your dollar bill you're using, and you call yourself a Christian. Okay, yeah. No, I'm fine with that, and maybe one day... Uh, you know, I held off from this because we're not, we weren't addressing this, but I was saying, you know, really we should go top down with, with all the imagery, the symbolism, the symbology of the buildings, the layouts of D.C., even the idea of Columbia and what that really right. means. I mean, it's, it's, it's laughable. And that's yeah, why. And do it, and do it in, a, in a piece-by-piece, evidentiary yeah, fashion exactly. with backup of, of pictures and just lay it out. I mean, you have a huge <laughs> Balaam right there, a huge, you know. Yep. Spire. I mean, it's it's, and that's really what happens when you scratch the surface of DC, as you see, it's all Masonic Illuminati. Anyway, the thing that's amazing is that they've had that symbol on the back of the dollar bill for sixty years, and the Christians aren't even. I mean, look at you know, they don't even show it in church. You should be all like this. Look, look what this means. Do you know what this means? You're using currency that's based on this evil principle. All right. Well, I tell you what. Since anyway, you brought that's it up. a whole different story. It's okay. no, no. All right, another right. rant that we love from William Ramsey. Right. Uh, but I will also it, it, you know, add this to it, too. From what I can see in Scripture, especially, and I'm looking at the New Testament because I think that you know, it, the Old Testament isn't completely vacated, but sometimes it's pulled out when it, you know, it really doesn't apply. But here's the, the thing. Uh, with Jesus, what he said to the centurions, like, get that coin out of here. Uh, two things. One, I'm not of this world. And secondly, he did not, the Lord, Jehovah would never have had money. Are we agreed right. on that? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, at least the you can be, you know, deride the Muslims for whatever they want, but there's no usury, you know, and the Christians don't seem to get that. So, yep. and even the the uh, the original church uh, was, you know, they they disparaged the use of money. They tried to share everything they could, and that's the whole confrontation between Peter and and Ananias. So, you know, there was this move towards the way that money is used to create hierarchy. You know, and that's in, in a really authentic Christian community. There's a lot more um, financial equality than there is in, in our society. I would sure. say that is the epitome of it. Um, I mean, balances and scales, and even though metals were used, fine. But to take something to make something the representation of something else, that's where the usury comes in. And of course, this goes back, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever read this, and folks, uh, also, this can still be had online. Uh, the Babylonian Woe by David Astle. Are you familiar with right. that at all, William? I'm familiar with the book. I haven't read it, okay. unfortunately. It, it, you know, it just shows you right from the very beginning how they were scamming people. It, it started off as a good thing, as most things do in, in the human uh, right. condition, and then it becomes corrupted. But it's, right. the old, you know, it's the old story about money. All right, so here's where I'm going with this. Money is not of God. 
We use it. He understands it. He, underst- he knows that we're in the system, but not of the system. But when Christians freak out about the taking away of in God we trust off currency, I'm like, man, get it out of there. Are you kidding yeah. me? The Lord doesn't want that there. And you're just right. How can both, how can both evil and, and the Lord reside in the same place? On a dollar bill, it's horrible. Like you said, you've got the uh, truncated eye extended over the pyramid. You've got right. in other places. And, and are you familiar with the owl in the upper right-hand corner? Yeah, the owl is there. <laughs> well, the eye is apparently the eye of Horus in their symbology, and the, the triangle represents the Kabbalah. Triangle always has represented the Kabbalah, so and that's why all these guys love the Kabbalah. But mm-hmm. just like Crowley and you know all these other you know but, but, people what, on the left-hand path. What I wanted to mention to you at lunchtime at the bureau, um, you know, you, you, they had a little veranda you could walk out on, which was above Pennsylvania Avenue, and we would, and I could look to my right, which would be the east, and there's Horace's, um, not Horace, uh, Osiris's prosthetic penis right there, right. 555 feet of it. And then I would look to my left, and there would be the Capitol Dome, the female. And on top of it was the goddess. Persephone. What was this? Persephone, right? Is that what they call No, tell me about that. Well, it's Persephone. It's the goddess of the underworld. She's facing, uh, <laughs> facing west. East. It's not yeah, it's some kind of, like, uh, you know, goddess. Well, I, I'll tell you what. What's interesting is if you go to Wikipedia, which is nothing but another vanilla-sized encyclopedia forget it. i mean they'll never go into this they talk about that the topping of the dome that is the statue of freedom which is baloney now, right. I, got, I got this um biography of garfield uh, james garfield um and in this when they and he was in dc as i guess as a congressman before he became president and they had redone the capitol dome and on top of it and this is what the book says and the book was written like in 72 it said on top of it was placed the goddess of, of uh, freedom. Goddess of peace, sorry. Goddess oh, of peace. God. So I'm laughing because now if you go to Wikipedia, it talks about the Statue of Freedom. That was not what it was made. That, that's not what it was, you know, it, called. So you look to the right and you got the prosthetic. You look to the left and you got the goddess of peace. And it's like, oh, my goodness. I mean, does it get any better than that? No, it doesn't. Um, geez, but anyway. That's yeah, and then there's a, there's still a st- uh, statue of Albert Pike out there that's been there <laughs> forever. So uh, you know. All I want to know: Do the pigeons crap equally on his statue as they do yeah, the so. in Lafayette? The Capitol Dome building. This is right from the internet. It's Persephone, goddess of the underworld, goddess of death. You, you got that off the internet. All right, beautiful. What site was well, that? I mean, that doesn't mean it's true, but that's that's my understanding. Well. I have no problem with that. I mean, I, I, when I look at the book itself, like, you know, Garfield, I'm thinking, well, that was period, and that's what they called it, so let's not call it the Statue of Freedom because that's all baloney. And, of course, right. we have the statue out in uh, New York Bay, which also is very interesting. Um, but we, I want, you know, I'm going to take you down What's there. What's that statue in New York Bay? What's that? Oh, that, the, oh duh. The statue uh, well, there's, another one, there's another one in Jersey that's this weird... Statue that commemorates some guy's death, and he's being shot in the back by a lightning bolt or something like that. Is that sound right? Well, I've been in Jersey. I saw a lot of weird things. That one escaped. You got to tell me about that one. Well, I got. I have to figure that out. Uh, I saw it yeah. just recently. I got to. Um, well, that'll be another another discussion. It, it could have been a couple of mob guys. I don't yeah, who knows? <laughs> All right. All right look, 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 moving along because uh, you know we are taking a, a couple of sidebars, which I love. But um, you know, you talk about surveillance, counter surveillance, and also meeting good old spooks and spies. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the people I grew up with, a lot of them, you know, were in D.C. Uh, they worked for, you know, uh, uh, 
places like you know they be, they became spies. A lot of them went into uh, work for the government and uh, in a variety of different levels. And also my involvement in a very small way with since Foster's uh, you know killing uh, subjected me to a lot of these guys. There are people who are are who it was surprising that they act they came and tried to. I don't know, I wouldn't say set up, but they wanted to investigate me without saying I'm in, you're under investigation. So I, the first guy they sent was a Maronite Christian, so he was from Lebanon. Okay. And uh, I didn't know what his story was, but where I was studying, he'd always be there while I was studying. And uh, I learned later, there, he, he tried to befriend me, and... Uh, you know, we became friends, and I said, well, you know, you're from Lebanon, let's go. There's a very famous restaurant in D.C. called the Lebanese Taverna. There's two of them. There's one in northern Virginia, and there's one in uh, one in north D.C. And I said, well, let's go out to eat there, and he wouldn't want to go there, which was unusual. I was like, well, you're Lebanese, but I didn't, so I didn't, I didn't put it together. Well, I was coming back from Georgetown, walking back across the Key Bridge, and I ran into him with another group of Arabs, and... I started to put it together that he really wasn't, uh, you know, some some guy. He was actually uh, an agent of some sort, and he was in, infiltrating and investigating people for uh, the government. He spoke great English. He spoke perfect Arabic, and uh, he probably had a number of tasks that he, you know, would just go around and, and try to befriend people and take notes on them and see who they were and, you know, identify a threat. And, um, you know, I was no threat. I'm not a... I don't, I've never had a gun, so I mean, the, the reason that they wanted to investigate me was, and he probably didn't know, he's probably compartmentalized, he didn't know exactly the whole, you know, my situation, but he was probably just taking notes and building a dossier, and um, that's the way it really works. I mean, that's essentially it. I mean, if you come out and you uh, are part of something that's a threat to the, the ruling families or the ruling elite or somebody who knows too much, that's how they kind of make a determination of what you're really about. And I was, I was pretty surprised that I was on somebody's list because I didn't really consider myself, I still don't, mm-hmm. you know, an organized person. I'm not political. I don't have, I'm not part of any groups or communities. And I really have never even gotten off that list, sadly to say. It's been 15 years, but they seem to think that, you know, well. uh, I'm a person of interest. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been, been kind of interesting. I've burned a lot of, and I won't go into detail, but I've burned a lot of spooks from the, the United States government over time, 15 years. Then once, you, once you've kind of learned them, and if, well, not learned them, but you've, they operate in the same manner. They're a little too ingratiating. They show up at places, <laughs> places where you're at, and uh, you can, I, I can smell a government spook a mile away at this point. It's been so long for me, so. Anyway, that's my experience with, with, you know, the police state. So, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I don't have a really good opinion of a lot of these uh, acronym agencies no. after uh, my experiences. Uh, because they're propping up a, it's just incredible evil, incredibly evil murders and assassinations and poisonings and uh, corporate fraud and mm-hmm. political fraud of the first order. And uh, it's pretty sick. I don't know how these people, they probably have thrown all their mirrors out of their, the rooms of their houses. I don't know how they can look at themselves. I mean, they're just absolutely disgusting people. 
Well, I'll tell you what, that's a keeper statement. You're absolutely right. They threw the mirrors out. Absolutely. Great. Great statement. Yeah, you have to. You have to cease to be who you are. You can't be, you know, you can't look anymore. Well, how can you do that? I mean, they're picking up a check just like, I mean, I'm just, I'm a nobody. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an important person. What are you wasting your time with me? So they know that they're just doing their job to get, you know, pensions and benefits and doing this. I mean, it's, it's insane. And they're propping up these evil people who were, Involved in murder and assassination and drug dealing and corporate fraud. I mean, it's, it's unreal. You know, uh, I'll, I'll say this. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of contact with um, people, I guess, considered dangerous that I knew about, uh, much like you. And, of course, I was, I was single at the time, and I was just, like, you know, crashing through life. And um, we went to a party. I, I don't even know why we went there. I mean, I had a roomie uh, at that time uh, when I was living in Alexandria in Rose Hill, if you remember that, Franconia Road. Uh-huh, I'm familiar with that. All right. And, I spent a lot uh, of time in Alexandria. <laughs> so we, used to. we go to, uh, I don't know where we were. We were someplace in the suburbs of, like, uh, you know, Maryland, outside of D.C. And that's the other thing I'm going to tell you. To this day, they tell me Boston's bad, but, I mean, I, could, I always got lost in D.C. I mean, southeast, northwest, I, I don't know where I am. Yeah, it's really confusing because <laughs> the, the way the, the roads so are the always laid out, yeah. Yeah. So we wind up going to this party, and, I mean, I'm just – you know, getting the glow on, and you know, and we we're talking to some people, and somebody comes up and says, "Look, you know that guy, you see this guy there?" And some guy was there with this like black, you know, kind of like Clint Eastwood leather hat, with a vest on, and you know, I don't know. And I'm like, "You still mess with him?" You know, I'm like, "Oh yeah, well one, why would I?" And two, okay, so what are you telling me? You know, he's somebody. I mean, I'll take your word for it. And we, and I remember like, you know, we went out for some more booze and stuff, and I'm like driving through the streets, going, "Why am I here? I don't belong here. I don't even like this place." So D.C. definitely has, you know, uh, a certain allure for some, but some other people just, you know, kind of rear their back like a cat because of what yeah, takes place Yeah, I just remember there. there's a story about Bill Clinton when he first came to D.C. Uh, I can't remember what he was there for, but where he ran up onto uh, the mall, you know, near the, the end of the mall, near the Lincoln Memorial. And it's a vignette. I think it's from Partners in Power, which is a really important book I would read. Uh, but it talks about Bill and Hillary back in uh, Arkansas. But Clinton was like, had some kind of like rocky moment in Philadelphia where he was, he threw, thrust his arms up and said, I love this city. I love this city. He just loved D.C. And I think that's a fairly telling, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, tale about his character. Or lack thereof. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, yeah, indeed. All right, to give you a little heads up, um, I don't know how much time you got, and I, and I thank you for the time that you, you're giving us. Um, uh, two things. One, and I'll lay them out right now, very interesting that you mentioned about um, uh, Robert uh, Rubin at the Model UN. And then after that, and this one cracks me up because this is such an insidious thing, what you refer to is the law school at U of Chicago East. So. If we can right. take them top to bottom, what about the U.N. model? What's that about? Well, I just remember, so Model U.N. was, a, like, for kids all over the United States, the, the, the Model U.N. is an organization where they try to pull the best and the brightest out and indoctrinate them with the whole ideas of the U.N. And they pull out, you know, the best of the brightest, supposedly from the best of the brightest, to, you know, teach them about the U.N. It's a total New World Order indoctrination thing. So I went to this one event, I, you know, I was much more naive back then, so I didn't see the big picture. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this is a prestigious place. So we went to, I think it's the Washington Hotel where Reagan got shot. And they had, you know, to, to cover up the crime scene, 
you know, they redid the whole front of the hotel. So you can't really tell the whole situation where the whole event went down is totally different. It doesn't look like anything that happened, you know, when the event happened. They didn't seal it in time. They actually pre- recreated the the whole architecture of the entryway. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I should tell you a little bit. But <clears throat> I just recall being there and how interesting it was and all these best of the brightest, these young kids, naive, getting indoctrinated. But who was, guess who was there? It was Robert Rubin, who was the uh, Secretary of the Treasury at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just remarked, well, one was that he's very short and swarthy, mm-hmm. which, you know, was interesting. And he had two bodyguards around him that they didn't look like military people. They looked like Italian gangster thugs. They were big, fat, pasta-eating bullies. And I just thought how, and he walked it with the most pompous air. He was very uh, self, he had that kind of peacock strut mm-hmm. for a short guy. And he'd walk down these hallways with his two bodyguards at his right and his left. And, you know, people would get out of his way. And he just loved the, the whole, you know, kingly strut down the center mm-hmm. of these big corridors at the hotel. <laughs> but, uh, you know, his, his whole, you know, he's part of the whole banking scam and scandals. And on a global sense, uh, you know, he's definitely involved in, you know, making these changes uh, throughout our whole global society by screwing up the banking system. And uh, I just I just remember that vignette, and I, it was the it was the the bully uh, you know mob feel. It wasn't mm-hmm. some kind of nerdy detached uh, bean counter at all. It was more of like this guy's connected. That's the way I felt about it back then, and now I see it in you know clear colors that Ruben is a. Uh, well, you know, something else. There's, something prob- else no. there's probably a little Napoleon complex going on there too, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He couldn't be over five two. Is there? <laughs> Wait, there was a word for that, but I'm. They're kidding. all short. So is Geithner. So is uh, Bernanke. <laughs> They're all these short. I mean, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, go say it. I know you want to say. Oh, uh, I have to laugh because I mean, I'm looking at this. You know, I'm envisioning this, and that is like. The smaller the chorf, the bigger the bodyguards, just so you have to have that little uh, compensation going on. Yeah, but the funny thing about the bodyguards is they were like, had big stomachs, like they, their shirts didn't tuck in right, you know, and the, the ties weren't put on properly. It was just, you know, they, these weren't guys from like the FBI. This was, uh, no. it was something else. And those, and those telling riddling weedy stains on their tie, that's the best. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Okay, uh, now moving on, because this I find really interesting. Probably one of the institutions that has gone without much notice in the Patriot alternative community, uh, which is supposed to get up, you know, be hip to everything. And that is the University of Chicago, where a lot of, I guess, what we're dealing with right now, a lot of uh, social engineering, uh, mind manipulation takes place. And you talked about uh, this as the U of Chicago East. Do you want to tell us about that? Well, you know, my law school is very, very right wing. So they. When I when I made a choice to go to school, I just went to the best law school I could get into, the cheapest. So I want to go to a state school, and uh, you know, I uh, so I went to, when I first started. They hit us with this kind of idea of law and economics, where mm. a lot of people might be surprised on what these their judicial representatives are really thinking. But they hit us with this notion where the ideals of justice, equity. And, uh, you know, equality under the law are, are tied to economic principles. And so they really just hit us with these endogamous. I mean, we started in these classes that were, 
uh, I think it was a uh, constitutional law with this notion of of this law and economics. We were hit with these uh, ideas like from people who are on the circuit courts right now, like the head of the Yale Law School, guys named Guido, Cal- you probably don't know, Guido Calabresi and Richard Posner. And uh, it was pretty shocking how quick they wanted us just, just to absorb these doctrines. And, and it wasn't an objective like, and these are fairly recent doctrines, and the, the subtext of the notion is that all legal rights are monetized. It's really an argument about money, not an argument about ideals, and I think that that was the wow, disgusting cool. thing that they hit us with, where nobody in our school, we're all, what the hell is going on? You know, we're all fairly mm-hmm. intelligent people scratching our heads, like, what are they teaching us? This doesn't have anything to do with criminal procedure, or, you know. Uh, so, and, and uh, these all get traced back to kind of notions from Rockefeller and University of Chicago, Posner's, you know, University of Chicago professor, and... Uh, he wrote the book on law and economics, so they had us reading that as well, and he's very influential. And Richard Posner, I've seen him get up and, you know, toe the company line about terrorism and, you know, Al-Qaeda and all this stuff. So, but, you, you know. but you raise a couple of good points. Now, you know, I, I assume you know. I, I don't know that you do. But, I mean, I've had the works of the informer in Jane Mon- Montgomery. Uh, the informer has come on and done audio with me. Uh, we've also um, kept the work that he's done literarily along with Montgomery. And this falls right in line, though. I mean, because, you know, actually, if you think back to it, it's scriptural as, as well, and that is the law of the world isn't really anything except mercantile law. Right. Like you just said, I mean, your statement about what, a monetizing uh, liberty? Is yeah. that? Yeah, monetizing ideals. I mean, that's the whole thing. So if somebody goes in front of a court and they're asking for justice or they want something fair, the way that they're training you is that they're actually just asking for money in some ways. And, you know, it's not that simple. No, but no, right. Essentially, it breaks down into to that type of uh, thing where they're infusing this notion of economy or money into the legal system where I don't think it should be. It's really not. But, uh, you know, and that's like a, that's, this is a classic view of a financial or moneyed elite. People mm-hmm. with money think that everything's about money and, oh, you're really not arguing about this. You want to take my money. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and if you, you don't if want you, justice, you want to take what I've got. Well, that's the whole story about victory. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, it's law of conquest, and I, and that's where I'm going with, to a certain extent. Um, you, you know, I, I've done this work. I also had a lawyer on that was uh, defending um, a person that needed defending in a in a copyright infringement suit, and the patriots were all yelling that this is a First Amendment suit. And I talked to the lawyer; he's a decent guy. They took it pro bono. Um, I, I, just one of the lawyers I find that I kind of like, but I asked him also. I said, "Look, you're in copyright. Uh, you're in copyright law. In this case, you're, you're finding uh, that there was a certain infringement um, by a plaintiff that really wasn't. And but the thing is, I had to write a, a, an article about this, and the Patriots took it as a First Amendment situation. And I'm like, no, it's not. It is about it's it's a tort, right? I mean, it's 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 about contract." It's contract law. And I asked the, uh, the, the lawyer, I said, is it not true that private people cannot use the Constitution as a remedy or a protection in federal court? And eventually get around to the point saying, yes, that is true. In other words, the Constitution we think we have, and you'll understand this, although many Christians don't, and I'm not trying to you know, kind of shoehorn you into somewhere you don't want to go. This is the first you've ever heard of it. My point is, no, I mean, the Constitution is not for us. It was a compact struck by the Founding Fathers 
to tie in the federal government with the several states at the time. It still goes. And he admitted that, yes, this was not a First Amendment case. It was basically a contract case. And, and that's, well, yeah, I mean, but the, and again, with these emails I'm getting lately, all kind of going along with a theme, which I find absolutely fascinating. It's like, look, the conquerors or your government, whatever you want to call it, can set up anything it wants to. It can also not give you what it says it sets up. My point in the United right. States today, uh, you can talk, all right, the only time I really think you get constitutional pr protection is in the capital offense. But when you get into these other things, it's all about the contract, admiralty rules, and that's the way it goes. So when these patriots that I've seen throughout the last 10 years go to the court, uh, they go into a federal case, whatever, probably tax evasion, and they, and they use the Constitution as a uh, defense, the judge rightfully tells them, you can't do it, get that out of here. And that individual, David Kerr, who worked for Santangelo Law Firm in Colorado, did, he, did a great job, won one for the good guys, he really did. And I mean, now that you know, you know law as well, but what I, but he finally had to win it. He goes, yes, you know, I mean, not that he was like, you know, stonewalling me. He just kind of like smilingly said, yes, you're right. Uh, private citizens are not a party to the Constitution. That's really slippery stuff, but that's, it goes back to what you were saying. We're dealing pretty much, and, and William, I'll let you like, you know, uh, coin this the way you want to, but we're dealing with, with an illusion. What is really law except what, you know, the rulers say it is? And they can right. kind of they have to be agreement. They have to have agreement that there this you is go. law. There's That's people right. at the top who don't give a crap about it, and they rule the country like, um, you know, Roman prelates or something like that, then you're in trouble because you think you're operating on one set of rules and they don't care about them. So. But are we not in a situation where I think actually we're seeing that? I think it's the new Roman. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. This country is ruled by, you know, families it's really ruled by people with money families the politicians are their lackeys they groom them they put them in power and uh you know they run it for their own benefit and, and uh you know it's essentially a financial benefit and they have contempt for the average person middle class lower class and uh it's the same way they ruled it in rome it's essentially a, the united states is a new rome I'm going to leave this on you and then also i want if you will to make a, a parting comment i thank you for the time that you've given us and, I mean, I could go on forever, as you well know, and we don't need to do that. But um, before I, I, I throw it over to you for a final comment, um, with, with all you've seen, you were in D.C., you saw what was going on, you realized what the animals really like. But, I mean, aren't we looking – okay, now that kind of tones my question. But our, let me just lay it out straight. I look at what we live in and what we're uh, – and it's so ironic because in another day – we're going to be celebrating something I don't really know we should be celebrating, uh, and that's independence. And I'm like, no, I don't really think that happened. But the way of the world, and as you've seen in the District of Columbia, is actually, and you've touched upon this a couple of times, as being business. I, I yeah. just look at this as being mercantilism and all the other trappings. Uh, people can make dances about it. They can make, you know, make good, you know, funny stories about it, you know, liberty and all that. So, I mean... When you came away from there, just share with us, if you will, what your notions of the way things really are as opposed to what we were taught in our history books, if that makes it a little clearer. Well, I think that uh, the reality is that D.C. is run uh, a lot different than what you're taught. Uh, people who really run it are, you know, what could be called the global Masonic Illuminati uh, 
you know, mystery Babylon stripe, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they, they rule it the way they want to, and if you're an outsider, you will never get inside unless you abide by their rules, and that's probably the same way it is at the Vatican and their rules and mm-hmm. the City of London and their rules, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's unfortunate, and you don't want to believe the lies. I, I think that the unfortunate reality is that we're in a school or scholastic system that is based upon myths, and, uh, you know, the sooner that you can break away from those myths, the better you'll be. And I wouldn't be naive about what you think you, it takes to make political change. And, uh, you know, the Tea Partiers and all these people who are following people like the Pied Piper, Glenn Beck, who's from Yale, which should tell you something right there, uh, you know, are naive. The real political change, if you want to make it, is the change in yourself. It's a uh, economic and spiritual change you make in what you decide to do with your time. And I wouldn't waste it thinking... Uh, you're going to make it on a wide level. If you really want to make change, get out of the banking system. Don't have get in debt, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. you know, that that's the thing. If they can't touch you and then get into your uh, finances and your your brain and make you believe lies, you're, you're, you're doing good for yourself, I guess. So I, uh, I, 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 you know, titled this thing when I sent it to you by email was, you know, D.C., this house is haunted, and I do think it's haunted. It's haunted oh, by yeah. ghosts spooks and uh it might as well be a white and sepulcher you know sepulcher of, of a lot of a lot of there's a lot of dead people there that um you know shouldn't shouldn't have been killed through wars and political assassinations and uh well, you know business combinations that you know resulted in the deaths of a lot of people there's one part we didn't go over in the tobacco when i was working as a clerk i also worked for a law firm where you know during the tobacco litigation of the 90s that you know, resulted in the deaths of millions because the the government was subverted by these tobacco companies from putting correct labeling on their their products that said that you know they were ba- essentially doping tobacco, and that's the movie The Insider. Essentially, is that right. they were adding all kinds of products to you know make it more addictive, and millions and millions of people have died and lived miserable deaths after you know their lungs failed to, to work, and that's and, and uh, DC went hand in hand with them, so. Well, uh, I just don't think people should be naive. I was t- totally naive, so I mean that's a little long-winded, but uh, no. But 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 as, you know, as a kid, I remember asking certain questions of my teachers and parents, and they seemed ill-equipped to answer. And I understand that because basically they towed the party line, uh, and what we were told. So I you know I can't fault them for that, and I don't. But one of the things I said out of this naivete, which is as innocent as heck, and also is very accurate. I mean, when I, was, when I was learning about lobbyists, you know, I would say to like my history teacher, like, um, isn't that like bribery? <laughs> you know it what is. I mean? It is. It is. It is. Anywhere else, it's called bribery, and we don't call it that. And those are the things, and what happens, the teacher does a habita, 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 you know, and, and, and comes up with something, but you're a kid. You know, you want to go back and play football and kiss girls and stuff like that, so you don't give a crap. But that right. stays with you, and you never revisit it to a certain extent. And if you do, there's always something more elevated at that time because your brain is more evolved where you say, oh, 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 okay. No, it's not good. It's bribery. This should not be happening. Get those lobbyists out of D.C., but that's the way it goes. That's the way of the world. And you've mentioned a couple of times, and I'll bring you back to that as well, and that is it seems to me, and that's how I email people also. Look, I'd love to believe the John Wayne stories and, you know, and, you know, and all that stuff. But you know what? Right. It's business, man. It's business. It all is. 
and it comes down. Well, it's just like it's just like the mafia. It's a form of the mafia. You got it's it. Like what they said on the Corleones. This is not about killing. It's about business. Uh, it's not personal. It's business. Yeah, yep. With us, uh, we, we, with William Ramsey, and he's given us. Oh, gee, what are we working on here? Over uh, ninety minutes, and thank you for doing it. Um, sure. Uh, it, you know, it's not without a certain amount of consternation on your part, but I really, as you well know. Um, value your input, and I think people should uh, do so as well for what you've done. And there's more coming down the road. Uh, and for you know, forgive me, but let me ask you: um, with what we're talking about now, and it's it's pretty sensitive. Have you ever thought uh, that you might turn this into either a, a documentary in print or um, visually? Well, not really, actually. I, I, I was had a lot of reservations about talking about my times in D.C. Uh, you know, it's still kind of a sensitive issue, and some of those people are still around. But, you know, it's uh, I could. I think that uh, most of my stuff can be verified, and I, I, I kind of went over some things from that everybody kind of knows about anyway from mm -hmm. my own angle. Uh, but, uh, you know, I have a lot of other projects that I'm, I'm working on. I'm putting one together called elite perversion past and present so it'll show that you know what's happening today is part of a continuum you know and uh that's what happens when societies go wrong and uh, so you know i i i've got other projects and you know i'm going to try to re-edit my book and put it for more of a overtly christian perspective and uh you know then maybe some christians will get it <laughs> A lot of them, a lot of them think that I'm writing like some pro Crowley book. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, even though I use the word evil, but you know, whatever. I don't know. You have to uh, kind of talk to people in their own nomenclature to get them to understand, I guess. Well, um, you don't have my problems uh, with the situation. I just want people to be, you know, truthful with me, and, and but uh, that's a hard thing to come by. And I'm, you know, I'm no saint. There's no two ways about it. But sometimes I think you just got to call a snail a snail, and I don't think that happens much anymore. But I will say this, and I'm interested by this. I mean, you know, what, what, I, what, what impacted me made me go more to do this, like, um, you know, radio type of thing, which will start actually its 10th year in about two weeks. Uh, good that, for you. Congratulations. <laughs> well, I mean, so, that's, that's, that's an accomplishment. Well, off the road. You're certainly not monetizing all your work. Oh, yeah, You're not Alex Jones. No, buy my video. All right. Um, yeah. Well, but, I mean, uh, we could do like ten breaks and have a guy come on for ten minutes and talk about the efficacy of buying gold. Well, you know, but you know, in, in a sense though, too, I, I don't mind when. All right, look. All right. To me, this was an easier way to do. It was a little bit uh, more financially. Well, it ruined me less <laughs> than if I were to try to do other right. things. And but in a sense, also, I mean, you've done things too. And, I mean, you've done them, you put them up for a price, and I think that's very fair. But what I want to ask you, though, also is, although what I was motivated by made me go to the radio thing with a partner who still is an acquaintance of mine but who no longer shares this, and I, you know, I'm indebted so much to him, but what I want to ask you, too, is, like, someday, one day, actually, uh, you got hit and said, you want to do this. Can I ask you what that moment was when you said, look, I, I just got to bust out with this? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it was just I had had enough. Like I was a solo researcher, some guy in his own, you know, small space researching. I got to the point where I mean, it really was the the connections between Crowley and nine eleven that really uh, made me turn the you know corner. And I had a dark night of the soul, and it was a it was, it was unfortunately it was years and years long. 
And I just said, you know what, I have to do this to the right thing. It's really a real spiritual thing. I wish I didn't have to monetize it or, and I can't, I can't, haven't made, I'm not living in a big palatial mansion, I can assure you. I haven't made that much money off of what I've done. And, you know, I'm still working on it. I'm doing it solo myself, but, uh, I think it was the Crowley thing that really saw it as, you know, these events are spiritual. It's an evil event. Yes, and I'm, I'm, I'm disgusted and, and sickened by the inability of the ostensible church establishment, and I mean this on a global level, I'm not talking about even the United States or anything, but like, can't you see it? And that's why I, you know, want to tell this truth to people who will listen, and, and there's not that many out there, unfortunately, and a lot of people don't won't take the time, or I haven't couched my work in, like I said earlier, the nomenclature of what people understand, unfortunately, they think that... You know, they won't take the time to re- read or listen to a radio program or try to understand what I'm getting at. But, uh, you know, that was really it. So I think that I'm trying to, you know, fight the good fight my way. I'm not any saintly person or anything by any means. But, you know, I just, I'm, I'm just, I just got enough. I'm disgusted. And uh, I think that the obeisance of all these Christians and all these people who talk about law and justice and order are just straw. Stuff. It's disgusting. So I'm hopefully making people aware, and I want them to face it, face the reality of what's happening and what has happened, and uh, you know, not lie to themselves. Well, I tell you what, um, you know, I'm no stranger to a, a controversy, and not for the sake of such, but I also uh, agree with you. Um, there is a very phony and very well-crafted connection between government and um, Christianity, and I think it goes back to a time that no longer is with us. Uh, there was a time when the state and the church were one, and that was because of Jehovah's Law. Uh, things have changed, and we are in a point now where there was a departure because, let's face it, his people did not want to be ruled by divine law. They kind of sure. like wanted monarchs like the people next door. And sure. here we are. Here we are with presidents and prime ministers and I, and as you know, it's so rich because we are doing this show so close to July Fourth, and the point is no. I mean, the, the way of the world, as as Scripture told us, is not about government. It's about, well, I mean, it's about obedience to God's word, and that is not what government is about anymore. There is a vast, vast vacuum between both, and uh, you, you you've seen it. I mean, you've talked about it, you've mentioned it. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and the other day, by the way, i got to tell you, William, when you know, Michelle Bachman is like coming out of, the, uh, out of the gate real strong, she's not going to be around at the end. This is the same old stuff. But she said, God told me to run for office. And in and, and the sleepy mornings, uh, you know, when the, the uh, Today Show just comes on, in bed I looked at my wife and I went, no way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no. didn't George Bush Jr. say that? <laughs> didn't say God wanted him to run? Didn't he say that? <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. almost positive he, he uttered those exact same words. William, I mean, that guy is about as Luciferian as you can get. Oh, go back yeah. and if you, if you want to have a bad trip, go back and listen to his 2000 inauguration and look at it with the eye through the lens of Crowley. I mean, it's well, astonishing what he said. I'm choking on my laughter because I tell you what I did. I'll send this to you too, damn if I can find it. I took a transcription. I paid ABC their their morning show when Charlie was still there when he had an interview with Bush. And Bush was being asked questions by Charlie. Of course, Gibson, I'm sure, you know, didn't know what he was asking. And 
I tell you what, the things that, 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 that Shrub said, Little Bush, about his knowledge of God, it was like, I would say that, that a third grader in Sunday school would have said like, oh man, what are you talking about? Oh, I mean, if I can find that thing, I'll send it to you. Damn, I don't know if I sent, uh, saved it because I, uh, um, I changed my uh, computer and I don't know if that made the cut as far as bringing that over. But I mean, I sent it to Christians and they'll still look at that and look at me and they get mad at me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, he was saying stuff about, yeah, you know, those who like are in Islam, we all go to God. We just take different paths. No, wrong. You know, yeah. Islam ain't going to cut it. You know, I'm sorry, but I mean, Judaism is going to cut it. And we won't go into that whole thing, but like, you're absolutely right. I mean, he was the biggest fraud that ever trod the earth as president. And people think he is just the absolute glowing, and he's it's the best thing. Unreal! Can... They have been conned. It is a great oh. deception, and the fact that Christians are believing that is a direct contravention to the words of Jesus Christ, where he said, "Be not deceived." Gee, you're you're more on my side than I thought you were. <laughs> no, I. Agree. Why do you think we we hooked up? Nobody else will listen to me. I only go on like five, ten shows. The most of the other people. You know, they they won't even listen to me. I, I I had to struggle to get an interview with Kevin Barrett, and he's still. Oh, I mean, this geez. guy's ostensibly a Muslim who believes in, you know, God, Satan, cosmology. He's kind of not really quite on board with what I'm saying. So, holy yeah. mackerel! I didn't even know that took place. Okay, well, I mean, look. Yeah, well, I, you can look it up. Go to Kevin Barrett's thing. I was on there for an hour. And folks, also, by the way, I mean, again, you can you can search William Ramsey uh, for uh, whatever shows he's popped up on. Uh, you know, of course, we kind of care about what we do, and I say we in that with Gordon and with um, Randy and uh, a couple of others close by. Um, and uh, you know, like I said, you know, as I wrote you, and it's true. I mean, we we just dig what you do, and we know that it comes at a certain price, no doubt about it. But I think also, I don't know. I think we sleep a little bit better because of it. That's the way I think about it. So the best of you and your family. Listen, thanks a lot for coming on at this time for this length, uh, and. Um, just stay with us one more second, if you will, William. Uh, you, look, sure, you've been no listening problem. to the, the com. We thank you all for being with us. Uh, you know, have a safe holiday, all that other stuff. By the time you hear this, of course, it will always be over. But, but thanks again, folks, and uh, come back soon.